Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stories About Autism podcast. My name's James, I'm your host and each week somebody gets to tell their own story about autism. I'm a dad of two boys, Tommy and Jude, and both of them are autistic. I write a blog called Stories About Autism where I share everyday stories from our lives. Each week on the podcast I get to speak to a special guest who is either an adult who's autistic, a parent of a children with autism or a professional who works with the autism community. I get to have a chat with them and they tell their own story about autism. This week it's Autism Awareness Week, Autism Awareness Day and the start of Autism Awareness Month. So depending on where you live in the world we'll Uh, define what it is that you're celebrating at the moment but it's April and yeah it's definitely all about autism awareness and acceptance so to celebrate that I thought I'd do something a little bit different it's something that a lot of you have been asking for for a while so yeah I'm doing a, a solo podcast this week where I've got some questions from uh, my Instagram followers and questions from some of the previous guests who have been on the podcast uh, who have um, yeah recorded some questions and sent them in to me. So yes, yeah, so it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to be hearing from me for the whole of the podcast. Really hope you enjoy it. If not, tell me and I won't do it again. <laughs> but if you do, then yeah, let me know and maybe it's something we'll do again in the future. If you enjoy the podcast, please could you take a minute just to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the podcast and yeah, learn a little bit more about autism. Anyway, let's uh, get started with your very special guest, me. Okay, so the most popular question by far on Instagram was how old were the boys when they were first diagnosed and what made you seek out that diagnosis? So this is a good place for us to start. So Jude, he was diagnosed back in 2009 end of December 2009 so he was just over 18 months old when he got his his diagnosis I'd say his mum first sort of raised concerns when he was about eight or nine months old which to be honest I didn't really see or agree with but I guess I was a dad at work and didn't really know too much about babies Uh, Jude was about six or seven weeks premature when he was born Uh, There was quite a few complications and I guess I just thought he was a little bit behind because of that. His mum was worried that he wasn't hitting his milestones. He seemed a bit different compared to the other babies. Obviously she was going to baby groups and spending time with with other mums and their, their young babies and I guess she was able to see quite a difference which I didn't really see. Anyway, so we went to the doctor. He pretty much agreed with me which at the time I thought was good saying he's a boy he was you know he's premature he'll catch up don't worry everything will be okay which is exactly what you want to hear because you hope that's true but uh, in hindsight it probably wasn't the the best thing to to be told this went on for a few more months and his mum got me round to her way of thinking and pointing out a few quite obvious home truths which I hadn't really seen or, or been aware of before So I guess when he was around one, we went back to the doctor again and he didn't listen. Uh, We went back a third time and finally he agreed to uh, refer us 
and, and start the process really to, to investigate what the problem was. So I guess the main concerns were firstly hitting milestones. He was slow crawling. There wasn't really many verbal sounds coming from him. He wasn't really copying what it was that we were doing. Often he'd seem quite vacant and he sh- I really remember he used to stare out of the window looking at the trees and especially when it was windy and I used to think that was quite sweet but then I sort of realised later on that you know he, he was quite distant and almost in a different world at times. He initially thought there might be problems with his hearing. He wouldn't respond to his name. He'd call him or, or talk to him and, and often there'd be no response. He used to make a really loud noise and there'd be nothing. But then at the same time, if a TV was on and he was in the other room and the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme tune came on, he'd come racing in in his walker to see it. So obviously that didn't add up. He couldn't have had selective hearing. So it must have been more than that. I really remember in one of the first doctor's appointments when Jude was being assessed actually for, for autism, the doctor sort of calling his name saying Jude, Jude and being, you know, he was sitting on the, the floor playing and there was nothing and the doctor went quite close to him and clapped really loudly behind his ear and there was just no response at all and I couldn't quite f- figure that out. Like what If his hearing was fine, surely that would startle him or... know shock him but yeah he just seemed to carry on playing and he was completely zoned out off interested in in what it was that he's doing so yeah the diagnosis process started around 17 18 months we had a couple of appointments by then obviously we we'd looked into autism been on google and back then 2009 there wasn't too much how can i put it user-friendly descriptions of autism shall we say it was very very much a lot of the information that was out there was very clinical very professional wasn't like now where you could just go on facebook and find a thousand different autism blogs and and read up about lots of different families didn't quite exist back then so most things we were reading were like nhs or other medical journal type articles which were very clinical and (laughs) quite upsetting I guess Um, didn't really explain a lot of the questions that we had but definitely autism by the time we went for the diagnosis we were pretty certain it was autism but didn't really have much understanding of what autism was then three years later we'd be going through the same process with Tommy again he was diagnosed around 18 19 months maybe 20 months I'd have to dig out the paperwork to be sure and I think I found that quite surprising. Again, by then I knew a lot more about autism than I did with Jude, but it was very much what autism meant for Jude and not what it could mean for somebody else. By the time Tommy was diagnosed, Jude was about four and a half. So a lot of our time and energy was being taken up by Jude and and working on all the things that he was going through. So my memories of the early days of Tommy aren't as clear as with Jude because obviously my attention was divided a lot. I do remember that I was quite concerned that he might be autistic as well because just because Jude was which meant I probably didn't enjoy those that first year or so as much as I could have done because I spent a lot of time analysing and watching rather than rather than just enjoying it and enjoying him as a baby. He was very different to Jude. He hit some of his milestones much easier he definitely 
definitely seemed to be moving a lot faster than Jude had been. But he also got really, I remember him being really frustrated about about not being able to walk. He ended up in a in a walker much earlier than, than probably we wanted him to be because he was so frustrated at being sort of stuck on the floor. He just wanted to be in it. And once he was, he'd be racing around like all day or as long as we'd leave him in it, should I say. But one of the main things, I guess, that made us concerned and, and sort of seek a diagnosis was definitely eye contact. What we knew about autism by then and had known from our experience with Jews is, is that lack of eye contact is is often quite a clear indication. And whilst it seemed quite good maybe the first seven or eight months of his life, definitely it regressed and he, you know, he just couldn't get eye contact at all from him. It was pretty much non-existent. But then if you take a photo of him, he'd be staring straight down the camera every time. <laughs> but yeah, just no camera, he, he wouldn't look at you at all. He also used to spend a lot of time thrusting his hips, whether he'd be in the pram or laying on the floor, he'd be thrusting all the time, really sort of seeking sensory feedback all the time. When he was eating, he'd only do it if he was doing an activity, so if he was stacking cups or looking at a book, otherwise he just wouldn't eat, he had no interest. He'd never touch food with his hands either. If you tried to make him eat with his fingers, he'd just push it away, he didn't, didn't want to know. And I guess he, thinking back, yeah, he just really enjoyed being by himself. He liked playing alone. He had no real interest in the other kids. And by then, obviously, we knew that was quite a serious indication that, that he might be autistic as well. So he started the process again. It was much more straightforward the second time, um, I guess, because the doctors knew we'd had some experience with it and took us at our word, I guess. So the, there wasn't uh, three or four visits to the doctors before anything was done and it was pretty straightforward. I know the process isn't that simple these days but you know we'd get appointments within a couple of months maybe three months whereas now there seems to be a really long waiting list for people here in the UK but yeah sort of seven years ago six seven years ago it definitely was a lot better in our area at least. So yeah in short both Jude and Tommy were diagnosed around 18 to 20 months old And yeah, that's what started our autism journey. So I'm Charlie and I blog at Our Altered Life about life with my twin boys, Oliver and Harry. And Harry has a rare craniofacial condition called Golden Heart Syndrome and autism. James, I would like to know if you could go back in time to the point where Jude received his diagnosis, what would you say to yourself now, knowing what you know? So that was Charlie. Charlie was one of my first guests on the podcast last year. And as she said, she writes about her family on her blog, Our Altered Life. So if I could go back in time knowing what I know now, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is it's all going to be okay. Those first few months are a really scary, emotional time. First few years are, I guess. I mean, even now, there's, (laughs) there's times that are still quite scary and emotional. And you really feel like you've no idea what you're doing. And back then, obviously I knew nothing about autism or next to nothing about autism. So I tell myself that that's okay, you will. You will learn about autism. You'll learn from the books that you're going to read, from the blogs that you're going to read, from the videos you're going to watch, from the people you meet. And most of all, you'll learn from that little boy, Jude, and in time, his brother, Tommy. You're going to go through the most challenging, difficult days of your life, but you'll find a way to do it. The love that you have for Jude and the love that you have for Tommy, 
and the love that they have for you they'll give you that's what will give you the strength every day even when you feel like the worst possible dad or you've had the worst possible day and you're exhausted that love really will give you the strength to just get up and go again and do everything you can to make life better for them all the emotions you feel at the time of diagnosis the the fear the anger the sadness the uncertainty of what the future now holds feel it go with it accept it some of it will go in a few days some of it will take weeks some of it will take months and years but it's okay don't beat yourself up for feeling how you feel you won't always feel like you feel right now it will get better sometimes things will get worse before they get better but eventually they will they will get better definitely don't stay up all through the night on google searching things there's so many different options out there that you're going to get overloaded and you're going to be questioning yourself about are you doing the right thing plus you need to get your sleep whenever you can trust me you're going to need it the most important thing even with all that research you're doing to learn as much as you can about autism is to spend time learning from jude and in the future learning from his brother tommy watch what they like doing see what motivates them what is it that they enjoy and just get down there and join in with them even if it's something you think they shouldn't be doing because maybe I don't know, other people don't think it's normal or it's not socially acceptable. So if they're flapping their hands, if they're tapping things, if they're spinning around all the time, just do it. Get down there with them and do it. Trust me, it's what will make the bond between you so much stronger and it will open them up into wanting to communicate with you, wanting to do what it is that you enjoy. It really will build that trust between you. Instead of you stopping them flapping their hands, flap next to them. What it will do is suddenly, if you really just accept what they enjoy, they will open up, they will start to look at you and see what you're doing. And that's how you get them to join in with you. Also take the time to watch and really study whenever they get upset. What is it that's making them anxious, angry, making them cry? Try and figure out what it is when it happens make a note of it write it down keep it in your head whatever you need to do but try and figure out what it is that triggers those emotions for them and then once you figure that out you can try and reduce that for them every day find a way that you can help them and for your own happiness and your own sanity even you've got to find a way to put the emotion aside and start talking about autism don't bottle everything up don't keep it inside don't just put your head down and get on with life find one or two people to open up to. Talk to your friends and family about it. They want to help. They just don't know how. Everything you learn, you need to be talking to them about it. Helping them understand Jude and Tommy as well. Trust me, it will make you, not only will it make your life easier, but just getting it out, what's inside you, will make you so much happier. And then when you get the chance to meet other autism families, you have to open up to them as well. When you finally do it, you'll realise that that's exactly what you need. You need to know people who just understand what your life's like. You just get the ups and downs. Find those people, become friends and yeah, just create a new circle of friends for yourself. Whether that's online or in person. Stop being so shy and withdrawn and just get out there and start talking to people. Okay, so the next question from Instagram is what particular therapy or therapies have you found that have really helped both Tommy and Jude 
So I touched on it a little bit in the previous question uh, when I spoke about joining in with Jude and joining in with Tommy. And I came to learn that from going on something called the Sunrise Program. Um, I'm not sure how, how many of you would have heard of that or not. It's, it's something that's based in America. And I went to a couple of workshops that they did in Portugal. So the basis of the Sunrise Program is essentially it's play therapy or floor time therapy. There's, there's you know similarities in, in lots of these therapies out there. So whilst I didn't agree with everything to do with the Sunrise Program, the sort of some of the essentials uh, I took away from it and found that they really did help with with Tommy and Jude and also with myself it was almost a form of parent therapy in a way of really helping me accept autism and accept basically try and see the world from a sort of non-judgmental viewpoint and it's really stuck with me since and and formed sort of some of the way I look at the world so it has definitely helped in that sense with my approach to autism and and the boys but the main thing about the main teaching I took from it was was what they called joining and I guess that one of the ways they described it was imagine if you sat down on a park bench talking to a stranger and that person was obsessed with films and all they wanted to do was talk about the latest Tom Cruise film that was out and all you wanted to do was try and talk about football. The conversation isn't really going to go anywhere. If you're trying to talk about football and all they want to talk about is a Tom Cruise movie, you know, you're not going to create that connection because you're trying to change the subject and force them to talk about what you want to talk about. Well, even if you don't like Tom Cruise movies, if you sit there and start talking about it and show an interest and ask questions about it and and get to know more about it, then you're obviously going to build a better relationship with that person than you are by talking to them about football. So that was just a, I guess, a story that's stuck in my head. Maybe it wasn't Tom Cruise, maybe it wasn't football, but but you understand what I mean. So when it came down to the boys, the idea is that often with autism, especially if people are stimming, um, so if they're doing activities or movements that you class as like self-stimulation, so maybe they're flapping or rocking or spinning around or tapping objects, often we see it as quite... It's not accepted by society, those sorts of actions or behaviours, so... I hold my hands up in the early days. I I'd try and stop Tommy or Jude doing those those things. I thought if I could stop them and show them other things, then you know they wouldn't want to do that again and again. I didn't really realise how important stimming. I didn't know what the word stimming meant, and obviously didn't realise how important it is to to a lot of autistic people. So the idea behind joining is if someone's stimming or if they have a very special interest subject or you know, rather than trying to, if Jude's standing there flapping and running up and down, and I want him to be colouring in, rather than trying to get him to stop flapping, just join in with him. Jude used to, back then, when I when I first learnt all these principles, he used to love tapping things. He'd often be walking around with things in his hand, tapping them. He'd sit on the floor and tap the radiators he'd tap walls, windows, anything that made a sound and gave him that feedback. Rather than, like I said, try and force him to do something that I thought was more socially acceptable and play what I thought he should be playing, I'd spend my time 
sitting down with him. So if he was tapping one end of the radiator, I'd sit at the other end and tap that end. And again, not forcing him to join in with me, just doing exactly like he's doing and just showing him that if that's what you want to do, then that's cool by me. I'm happy to do that as well. If he'd get up and start tapping the windows, I might walk to another window and tap that. I just try and show him that I'm really happy doing what it is that he's doing. And we'd do that every day. And if it was, if he was throwing puzzle pieces around, I'd sit at the other end of the room and throw them back to him. If he was running from one end of the room to the other flapping, we'd be crossing each other from one end of the room to the other. And over time, both with Tommy and with Jude, it really, really opened up our relationships. And with their mum as well. We'd, you know, Back then, we were all living together and, and doing the same things. And we saw so much better eye contact. Because what would happen is, rather than ignoring me, as when I was tapping the radiator, after a while, Jude would start looking over to see what it is that I'm doing. And then in time, we'd almost be playing together. And I'd start trying to add to the tapping by maybe, I don't know, getting the ball out and rolling the ball back and forth between each other. And if he picked it up and threw it in the other direction, then we'd leave it and I'd try something else. But over time, over weeks, over months, it just really created a really strong bond between us and helped them relax rather than, you know, constantly trying to make them do what it is I want to do or what I thought they should be doing. It just just allowed them to be themselves and not feel that pressure of having to conform almost. You know, at the time Jude was six. Yeah, Jude was five or six. Tommy was two or three. So, you know, it was really important to, to help build that bond between us. And I just found it it's helped in everything we do. Whenever, even now, if Jude comes home and he's watching TV with music on and rocking back and forth flapping, and I stand there with him doing the same thing, I get so much interaction from him and so much communication from him just by the fact that I'm joining in doing something that he loves to do. Other than that, uh, I mean, we've done various speech and language therapies with... Both Jude and Tommy use PECs at school. Tommy's just transitioned into ProLoquo to go, so I'm really excited about that. That's, that's uh, He's going to be doing that at home very very soon. We've had lots of sensory assessments and a few sensory therapy sessions. Uh, both boys do music therapy at their school. They go to a special needs school. But they both do music therapy and enjoy those sessions. Jude also has massage therapy. Um, once a week which he loves and again really see some great communication and connection between him and the, and the therapist but yeah if I mean their school's fantastic so they get all the therapy they need each day at school but at home definitely the just that basic principle that I learned in the sunrise program of joining I still use it today and yeah it just creates a really good connection between us Hi, my name's Dean, and I just wondered if, given the needs of your children, I just wondered if your parenting approach was different for the two of them, or whether you have a more universal approach of how you parent. 
So that was Dean. He was my first guest on the podcast about a year ago. And Dean's autistic and a dad of three. And he has the page A Year in the Life of Autism. So make sure to check that out on Facebook. Do our parents Tommy and Jude differently or is it the same? I'd say it's actually something I've been thinking about a lot myself recently and sort of analysing. And I don't know if it's something that other parents do naturally anyway uh, regardless of autism even if you have two or three neurotypical kids but do you parent them differently to what their personalities are and what their their wants and needs are I'm not sure so yeah thinking about it I try to approach parenting Tommy and Jude the same in the fact of always trying to keep the demands quite low on them uh, being very mindful of their sensory challenges and what it is that they're comfortable with, how they how comfortable they are around other people, different environments, and I guess to keep parenting very much the same in the way, the way I show them love, the way I try and make them feel completely accepted and at ease whenever they're at home, try and make them feel special and give them confidence and and tell them how amazing they are. So I try and keep lots of those things, you know, very much the same. But yeah, I guess there. In some ways, I do parent them differently. (laughs) To make it very simple, Jude probably gets his own way 99.9% of the time. Um, He, I'd say autism, along with his global development delay, is pretty complex and and makes understanding for him quite difficult. And I've just seen such a happier boy since I've focused on reducing his anxiety and the demands on him that, yeah, he, you know, if if he asks for something, he probably gets it. There's times where he has six showers a day and, you know, he'll keep taking me back to the cupboards for food or he'll give me his shoes, meaning he wants to go out and I'll jump at it and do exactly what it is that he wants. Whereas with Tommy, Tommy has a much greater understanding of the world and the way it works. He understands routines he understands uh, much more spoken language I'd say he's working to a much higher level at school and and because of that his understanding of just the world and even how things work uh, at home and at school and so on I feel like I can push him more and challenge him more and in a way keep stricter rules and routines with him which don't always work because uh, if you if you read our, our stories at the moment, you'll know he's going through quite a challenging time. But but that's not really because of anything that, that we're imposing on him. Yeah, I, I just feel that because of his maybe less complex needs than what Jude has, that I probably expect more of him. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But so but that definitely impacts how I parent them because I expect more of Tommy I feel that he understands more of what I ask him or or tell him I do try and push him further and and challenge him and and try and help him grow because of that maybe he doesn't get as much of what he asks for and I try and discipline him more or try and explain things more to him you know Tommy can understand what I'm explaining to him whereas often with Jude the anxiety kicks in and everything sort of shuts down around him so that's improving and it's it's got so much better over the last few years 
but definitely I need to find the right balance of how to push Jude further and maybe be a little more lenient towards Tommy as well at the same time. But yeah, I, f- I think I think overall it's it's universal apart from in those areas of just maybe expecting more of Tommy and pushing him more and reducing demands on Jude and, and making it a more stress-free environment for him. Hello, I'm Jill from Walking with Drake. Since I'm from America, I would like to know what programs are available in the UK for kids on the spectrum. In other words, what does a school day look like for them and any therapies that may be involved? Are they all at school or do you seek outside therapy as well? So that was Jill from Walking with Drake, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. So since Tommy and Jude were both diagnosed pretty young, sort of 18 to 20 months, we've probably had a lot more support than many other families have in the terms of we received support before they entered into school. I remember a few months after diagnosis, we started having different visitors come to the house uh, trying to work on interaction with the boys, giving us tips on on how to try and improve communication. We had a few speech therapy sessions, um, some private, some uh, from the government. Uh, And then I remember there was quite quite a lot of support uh, when it came to nursery and making sure that what we have here is called a, a SENCO, so the special needs coordinator for each area. And they'd go into the nursery or, you know, which they do anyway. But then another department would also help and make sure that make sure that the setting was as, as right as possible for, for Jude and, and then for Tommy a few years later. I think if I'm right, they, the nursery receives a certain amount of funding for basically providing extra one-to-one support um, for so many hours a week. So So that was always taken care of from when Jude and Tommy were about three. Um, the nurseries, you know, they always had one to one support for pretty much all of the hours they were there every week. And then Jude and Tommy go to a special needs school. So again, it's going to be very different to the setup of a mainstream school. We went to see mainstream schools before choosing the special needs school that, that they both go to. And it just it just wasn't the right fit for, for Jude or for, or for Tommy. From what we saw of the, of the schools available, again, it would have meant that Jude or Tommy would have an extra support or member of staff to to work with them. But I think the, the level of their needs and the complexity of their needs meant it, it just wouldn't have been right for them. And it's definitely turned out, obviously, you don't know when you're making that decision around, you know, they're around four years of age and, you know, you're trying to predict the future. But, but obviously, looking back at, at where the level they're at now then definitely mainstream wouldn't have been been the right choice for them. So at their special needs school, it's typical school day. The setup is, I think there's about eight or nine kids to each class with four or five, with one teacher and then three or four teaching assistants. So it's a very uh, low ratio of, of pupils to the amount of staff there, which means they get a lot of one-to-one support and yeah, they're able to obviously get to know the kids a lot better and, and really work with them and help them progress. So the school, the class, each class will follow sort of loosely based uh, curriculum. So working on some of the things you, you'd work on in a normal school, but obviously... It, so there is a timetable each day for, for the class and 
and they'll be doing um, working on numeracy and literacy uh, obviously at the right standards and levels that's appropriate for for each class and for the individuals in there Um, but then for instance Jude uh, he gets he has a music therapy session once a week he has a massage session once a week they at their school they have sensory rooms they have swimming pool they have sort of specially adapted play equipment outside in the playground they have a swing therapy room we're really lucky that two years ago now yeah two years ago now they moved into a brand new building which was years and years in the planning um so they was really fortunate that you know the school always had fantastic staff and really sort of loving and welcoming environment that that's definitely the the reason that we chose that that school but then they were in a very very old building that you know was bursting at the seams and they were maximizing every, every little section of space they could so now they have the brand spanking new all singing or dancing facilities to go with the the great staff that they have so you know the school's a lot bigger a lot more accessible for for children with more f- physical disabilities as well and yeah like i said they you know they've got some brilliant playground equipment sensory rooms swing therapy rooms an amazing swimming pool so now they've got everything to just to give the kids the best possible day-to-day school environment i know they, they also go out into the community usually around once a week and you know going maybe visit a supermarket visit a park and and try and get our kids more comfortable in the community and to understand things like going to a supermarket and and what you know what shopping is so yeah so that's the system as i said it's we're fortunate that they both go to a really good special needs school and i know that's not always the case and lots of parents end up if you're really having to fight for for the school places or they end up sometimes in the middle where their child doesn't quite fit a special needs school but doesn't fit mainstream either but in that sense we've been really fortunate and and yeah they they kind of provide all the therapy that that the boys need we don't do any extra therapy as such what we try to do is obviously integrate a lot of the systems that school use in the classrooms sort of the, the visual communication and the techniques that they use to to help the boys transition um, we just use them at home and I kind of see that that time after school and the weekends as a chance for them to relax really and they need some downtime as well so you know they work really hard during the school time and I think they need some time just to be themselves and do exactly what they want yeah that, that's what we do Hi, I'm Steph, and I write a blog called Steph's Two Girls, and you can find that at www.stephstwogirls.co.uk, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Steph's Two Girls as well. Do you think you've stopped worrying so much about the future for your boys, or is it still on your mind every day? So that was Steph, and Steph was on the podcast last year, and her daughter has a diagnosis of PDA pathological demand avoidance which is a a type of autism um so yeah make sure to check out her blog um some really interesting stories about pda on there good question do i worry less about the boys now than i used to i'd say yes and no definitely in the early years there were lots and lots of worries because i was so new to autism and didn't really know what it meant and as i said before spent hours and hours researching and reading and and 
I guess comparing, comparing the boys to other children that I could find online and their stories and, and trying to imagine if, if that's how life's going to end up for them. Good and bad, I guess, you know, seeing, oh great, they might be able to speak or, oh no, that, that child can't speak, that might happen for Jude and Tommy. And I guess my worries back then were very, were quite short term, were more around the what happens when they go to school, will they ever speak, will they ever have friends... I didn't really think too far ahead to the future. I guess I did, but I also realised that so much can change. They were both diagnosed at a very young age, so trying to f- imagine what they'd be like when they're 15 or 20, you know, was seemed just too far away, I guess. You know, I, I couldn't probably have imagined what Jude and Tommy would be like now at 10 and 7 when they were, were first diagnosed. So, yeah, I, I tried not to think too far ahead. And as a whole, I kind of stick to that now. I, I really do focus on sort of the here and now or maybe the the immediate future, the next school term or the next few months and don't let my mind drift too far away because I know how, you know, have, from our experiences, I know how much things can change, again, good and bad, uh, become better or more difficult and you don't really have much control over it. So I try to focus on always try and focus on the positives and finding ways to to overcome the challenges and the negatives and yeah not think too far ahead but there are days where my mind will run away with me and that can be I guess I think a lot of that is also because as the years have gone on I've got to know more autistic adults and see older children with autism uh, sort of late teens and early 20s and I guess seeing some of the kids at school as well who are now you know I probably saw them at nine or ten and they're they're now 16 17 so my mind has or does sort of turn to the future in that sense and start thinking oh my god what are they going to do when school finishes you know school is so so important to their lives what is going to be available for them once they get to 18 and finish and I guess as Jude gets older he's going to be 11 in in the month's time and would have been going to secondary school in September. So I guess that's that's quite a big change in, you see quite a big change in your child when they go from sort of primary school to secondary school, and, and you see him really growing up. And I guess I'm seeing that for Jude. I can see physically how he's changing and becoming much older, but still there's a real level of, of care that he needs, you know, one-to-one care that he needs on a daily basis. So, so yeah, I guess I, I don't think about it as often as I used to years ago because I do focus on the here and now but probably when I do think about it it's actually scarier because I know so much more I know so much more about what's available for autistic adults especially when they have quite profound and complex needs so yeah some some days I do get a bit scared about what's going to happen as they get older and, and what that means to their lives and to my life and to their mum's life and and how we're going to cope when when they get past school age. I know that life when your child has autism can be incredible, but I also know it can be challenging as well. So I would like to know, what do you feel has been your greatest challenge in parenting your boys, and how have you overcome that? Another good question from Charlie there. What's been our greatest challenge, and how have I overcome that? I mean, there's been a lot of challenges, if I'm honest. Uh for the boys not not for me 
but I guess the easily the most difficult challenge has, has been around how physical and, and violent both boys now their meltdowns have been over the years so when Jude was around three or four I think it first started when he'd get upset often I'd have no idea why there seemed to be no trigger um, I guess we started to understand and realize that they were meltdowns they weren't just him getting upset about not getting his own way or him being tired or frustrated or I didn't really know what a meltdown was before then they just seem to go on a lot longer than and I guess you're what you'd assume a child could cry for and suddenly he used to start dropping to his knees and bouncing on his knees on a sort of hard wooden floor and I remember the first time being like quite shocked by it and you know just really not understanding why he was doing what he was doing and this continued it became a habit like every time he'd get upset he'd start he'd fall to his knees and start bouncing on them it'd happen if we was out so we'd be out in the street and he'd be doing it on the pavement and you know his legs were just covered in bruises all the time and over the next couple of years it just really increased and increased in the amount of time and increased in the number of ways he he sought out to to self-harm he used to sort of slam his hands against the walls and the radiators like the back of his hands like really slap them he used to jump off of the sofa onto his knees when he'd get really upset he used to slap himself around the face the arms the legs and eventually punching himself in the face as well and that period of i guess about four years four or five years before we saw any real change and and consistent change definitely the the hardest thing I've done as a parent or I've done in my life is having to sit there and watch him go through that he used to do it he used to wake up in the middle of the night screaming and just automatically start hitting himself there was a good six month period to a year where it was it felt like at least you know he'd be doing it for more than 50% of the day he was doing it at school I'd be taking him to school and I'd drop him off because he never made the school bus because he was up all night not sleeping so we'd get to school really late I'd drop him off and I'd walk away and I could hear him sort of screaming as he was walking down the corridors and getting upset and I just knew that you know he'd go through a period of self-harming it might be a couple of minutes it might be 10 minutes it was really hard just having to drive away and go to work knowing that that's going on and it wasn't like it all day at school he, you know he had the school did everything they could and to make it as stress-free and anxiety-free for him and but yeah there, there were obviously periods of the day where he'd, he'd melt down and he'd get really upset and hurt himself and then he'd come home and, and do the same thing and yeah but by far the, the hardest thing I've ever had to do is sit and watch my child hit himself and hurt himself and be helpless kind of knowing there's, there's nothing you can do about it I tried everything I could think of not always <laughs> definitely not always the best things at times because you're so you know when it's happening for half an hour and then stopping for 10 minutes and then happening for another half an hour and happening at three in the morning and five in the morning and you're pushed to the limit obviously Jude was completely at his limits as well and 
I've tried pinning him down and hu- or I did try pinning him down and holding him when he was sort of five or six, um, just to try and stop him hitting himself. I've tried getting him to hit me, tried sort of bouncing him up and down on a mini trampoline, I've tried holding him and dropping him onto the sofa to give him that sort of feedback of see if that would give him some sort of satisfaction instead. The same on the bed, you know, he used to bounce all the time, so I was trying to give him that feedback in his body that he, I kind of thought that he was seeking out by hitting himself and by bouncing on his knees. But yeah, that was, in Jude's case, the, the hardest thing I've, I've ever had to do. And unfortunately, I've actually reached that stage with Tommy in the last year. On a positive side, Jude, over the last couple of years, has transformed completely. And it's very, very rare that that we get those incidents anymore for a number of reasons I've spoken about a lot on the blog but just very quickly he's on medication anxiety medication uh, which has been on for about three years he obviously doesn't live with his brother which has made a huge difference because it's reduces anxiety and he's got lots of complete one-on-one attention uh, I've tried to reduce the demands around him as much as possible and I think he he just started going through a better spell and I guess sort of started to realize that life could be okay and it didn't he didn't have to feel so anxious all the time and you know other people being around him weren't so scary and once he started having some good times and in you know being able to enjoy like at school now he's so much more settled with his classmates than he used to be before the slightest noise would cause him to have a meltdown in a class but now he can tolerate so much more so yeah on the positive side over the last couple of years he judah's changed completely and it's very very rare that he has a physical meltdown and hurts himself so that's been fantastic and I guess as I said I've overcome it through lots of help from professionals lots of advice sought from other families lots of advice from school and making huge changes to our lives But as I started to say, on a negative side, I'm actually going through it again right now with Tommy. And it's difficult in a a different way, again, because I said how different they are. Actually, his meltdowns are very different as well. Tommy does self-harm more because he's lashing out at things, I think, than trying to hurt himself. But he's actually incredibly violent towards me and towards his mum and incredibly destructive around the house as well. So if he goes to start hitting me and I I block him, then he'll automatically try and kick something or throw something or cause some sort of destruction. And then you go to deal with that and he'll start hitting you again. And it's just a kind of vicious circle at the moment. So again, that's just as hard as what what life was like with Jude a few years ago. And in a way, I don't know, I don't know whether it's because it's escalated so much over the last year and it is in all honesty probably at at times a bit of a a scary point where I don't always know how to help him or or what to do because he seems so out of control and once it's over is as if nothing happened and he's got it's almost like a red mist just disappears and he just gets back on with life which is fantastic but (laughs) We don't always bounce back that quickly, and especially when the house has been smashed up. And yeah, we, you have to do what you can to, to try and deal with it. He's going through an ADHD diagnosis at the moment, 
and we're working with the children's mental health team to figure out what what the best thing is for him and how to help him because as I said over the last years his meltdowns and and challenging behaviours have really escalated and I think it's it's almost harder because we've had such a period of Jude being happy and feeling like we'd sort of conquered that challenge and how emotional and stressful and, and difficult it was and now it's happened again albeit in a slightly different way because it's unique to Tommy rather than Jude, it's probably feeling a bit harder to overcome, I guess. So as far as the most difficult parenting challenges go, with Tommy it's a work in progress. Hopefully one I'll have some good good news to update you on in, in the coming months. And with Jude, I'm happy to say that, that things are much better and I think it for me as a parent, what I did to overcome it was listen to others, listen to others who have been there, listen to professional advice, listen to school, but also listen to myself and and my gut feeling and me and his mum are the ones who spend the most time with him and have been there and seen the most meltdowns and, and how he reacts and and what it is he does. So we're the ones really who who probably know know him the best and know what it is he needs and, and how to help him and and what he responds to and what he doesn't respond to. So I guess that would be my tip to any other parents out there who are going through a challenging time with with their child. It's definitely look to others for help, but listen to your gut, listen to yourself. You spent way much more time with, with your child than anyone else has, and you will have a really good sense of what it is that they're, they're struggling with and, and what it is that they enjoy and how, how to bring that out of them. Okay, so one more question from Instagram was, do you think or do you hope the boys will live together in the future? So we've been living the way we have for coming up three years now. And in all honesty, it's made a huge difference to Jude's life. Definitely, although we're having a difficult time with Tommy at the moment, it definitely made a a big difference to Tommy's life as well. The reality is they both need one-to-one care. And there's only one of me and one of their mum. And it's pretty impossible to have both of them in the house together. Largely because Jude's anxiety is just off the wall whenever Tommy's around. And Tommy is loud, unpredictable, he's quick, he's everything that Jude dislikes (laughs) in the world, I guess. Um, So it has worked really well. It's worked really well for them. It means they get the level of care that they need. It can be logistically challenging at times. It obviously doesn't mean that me or their mum get very much free time or are able to do much separately or do much. There's obviously lots of occasions I'd love to take both boys to or lots of nights I'd love to have both of them here with me and all be able to be together. But once... I was able to come to terms with that and realise it's the best thing for them, then I, I really do think it's been, it's been a, a decision that's, that's really helped and improved their lives. As to whether I'd want them to live together in the future, of, of course. Of course I'd love nothing more than to have both of them here with me and and for them to be together. We're at school, I mean, we're not right now, as I said, because Tommy's having such a challenging time, but they were working on integrating them together 
a bit more at school. So they'd do fun activities like trampolining or going in the sensory room or the soft playroom with two teachers and the boys and trying to make a fun experience for them and and get them to enjoy each other's company and for for Jude to realise that Tommy isn't just somebody who's going to stress him out. And that was working okay and we've seen some lovely videos and pictures of them having fun together and me and their mum have tried a couple of times you know like going to mcdonald's uh going to a trampoline park but it's really difficult and it's something that would be impossible for me to do by myself so for now it's not really an option i'd love them to be together in the future but we'll just have to wait and see and the focus is definitely on them as individuals and how how they can live the most fulfilling lives and and be the happiest they can be so once they are both in a better place at the same time then yeah maybe we'll start to try and integrate them again and and see what happens but but in all honesty i don't see that happening anytime soon so bit of a long-term goal that one hi james um i've always wanted to know what made you decide to start your blog and your facebook page and what motivated you to start them so that was Miriam. Uh, Miriam was a guest at the end of last year and she writes a blog called Faith Mummy about her autistic twins. So thank you, Miriam. What made me decide to write a blog? Well, there's a few reasons, actually. Um, firstly, I wasn't very good at talking about autism. Maybe I'm still not, I don't know. <laughs> I struggled to talk with friends and family about Tommy and Jude. I found it so emotional and like many of you probably know, you, you can get quite isolated um, when you're a special needs parent or a special needs family because you don't can't always go to all the social occasions that you used to. And Tommy and Jude really didn't, well, Jude especially, just hated birthday parties, hated any other occasions with kids. So when you have kids, a lot of the sort of family gatherings you go to are birthdays and Christmases and christenings and you know those sorts of things and we found there was a good period where we just couldn't go so there's lots of family and friends that we didn't see very often and whenever I did it would be a rare night off or a night away and they'd say oh how are the boys and I'd say yeah they're fine they're good thanks and that'd be it <laughs> I guess I didn't really know what to say in the short period of time, especially if you're out having a drink and having fun. And there's so much I wanted to say, but just thought I'm going to, you know, at at the time, probably it was when Jude was really struggling and I just didn't really know how to say it and how to talk about it with people. And I think friends and family didn't really know what to ask or or how to ask. And there was a few times that I sat down with friends and had some good good conversations about it, not long before I started the blog. And it just made me realise that wouldn't it be easier if when I did actually meet up with people, people already knew a little bit about autism or knew a little bit about what had been going on with Jude and what had been going on with Tommy and felt like they understood and felt like they could have a conversation with me about it and not ask the wrong thing and not be worried about what they say. So yeah, so that that was the main reason behind it. I just started write, writing a few things down, some different stories, and thought I'd give it a go. I'd always enjoyed writing. I'd always 
dreamed one day of writing a book. So I thought, okay, well, even if I write a blog for a few months, at least it gets me into the habit of writing and maybe it will inspire me to, to write more. And and maybe I will write a book one day, who knows? <laughs> but life's been a little bit busy since then, so I'll get round to that book one day. And then as well, I I had read a lot of blogs by then. There was lots of blogs that I was following and reading and enjoying and learning so much from and I felt like if I could do that for another family another five families or ten families who found our stories interesting or could relate to our stories then wouldn't that be a wonderful thing and wouldn't it be great if what I'd learned over the last seven years eight years actually helped someone else so yes that was it I didn't really know anything about the blogging world or didn't really know how long I'd do it for or how important it had become to me as well and yeah that just decided to give it a go since then so this I've been doing it for about three and a half years now um obviously I've started a podcast which I never had any idea about three three and a half years ago I've met online and in person so many people who have become really good friends who I now feel like I know their families and they know mine and just get our lives. I've spoke with hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, from all over the world who have related to our stories, who have asked me questions about anything from food to sleep to what made me look for a diagnosis, uh, medication to communication to just anything and everything related to autism and and their children and and that actually really helps me as much as Jude and Tommy are my reason for everything it also gives me something else to to be proud of and feel that I'm doing some good in the world and that's not meaning to be big-headed you can do good by helping one person or helping 10 or a thousand It, it doesn't matter but just updating our stories every day responding to questions helping in any way I can it yeah it it helps me it inspires me and makes me want to be an even better dad for Jude and Tommy every day hi I'm Caro Greenwood and I have three children our daughter Matilda who is sandwiched between her two brothers is autistic so parenting is challenging add additional needs into the pot and that increases tenfold Everybody's autistic journey is very, very different. But what I have found as an autistic parent is it's really important to look after yourself. What is your go-to regeneration of James to make you strong enough to look after your two boys? So thank you, Caro. That was Caro Greenwood, who you can find on her blog, Spiky Mama. And she was on the podcast at the end of last year as well. What do I do to help me regenerate and look after myself it's a good question actually and and something that I think is really important and weirdly enough uh, I was on a course today that was talking all about that that same uh, that same topic and looking at the other parents in the room they all definitely felt like they're falling down on the the self-care side of life but yeah, it's definitely something I'm, I'm very aware of how important it is. And to be the best parent, 
you can be and the best parent you need to be for your kids you also need to look after yourself and and do things for you so that when you're with them you're in the best possible state and that's something I'm well aware of and where the challenge comes for a lot of special needs parents is they often get very little time apart from their children to be able to to look after themselves or even when they're at home with their kids you know it's not possible to just go off and have a bath or spend time doing something because their kids do require one-to-one care every minute or every waking minute of every day and a lot of sleeping minutes as well so yeah so it is is something that's really important and and something I think that other parents need to realize and find ways to invest time whether it's 10 minutes a day an hour a day an hour a week whatever it is but do something for them that that makes them feel good about them as a person and you know we're all more than just parents we're also ourselves so so yeah so thanks Carrie that's a very good question so that was a long waffle before I actually answered it what do I do definitely what helps me is exercise if I go through a period of time I don't exercise I notice my energy levels are lower I'm not as relaxed I'm not as happy in myself as I could be so I mean that's probably true for lots of people regardless of being a parent or not but just doing some exercise so uh, typically at the moment I'll do I'll go for a run I'll do a workout at home I used to love playing sport but I don't really get the opportunity to do that anymore so that's something I'd love to try and do in the future uh, what else do I do for me um my blogging's for me really uh as much <laughs> as much as I answered that question a minute ago there's there's lots of reasons I do it it is a release for me it's a way of getting all the things that are in my mind out of my mind and onto paper and then into the world <laughs> but you know I don't always get to to see people face to face and to have conversations because of how often I'm with the boys and and I you know, I work from home now, so I don't have that, that sort of daily interaction that, that some people have. So my blog's become even more important because it's a way of me communicating with people and, and talking, so that definitely helps me. The usual late at night box set when Jude or Tommy finally fall asleep and I just want to escape for an hour before I go to bed and join them. And yeah, trying to see friends and family whenever I can. And it is rare, it's probably once a month or once every six weeks at the moment uh maybe even longer at times but yeah just finding some time to just go and see friends and family and switch off from from being the dad for a few hours and and just talk about football and life and music and you know films and anything that's that's away from the regular day-to-day ah and i almost forgot one other thing i've been doing which surprise myself is I've been trying yoga as well which I know uh, helps people relax so I was recommended it so it's something I was thinking about doing for a while and obviously these days you've got YouTube videos that teach you anything so so yeah I've been trying to do that I haven't done it as much as I'd like to recently I had a spell of about three or four months of doing it uh, quite regularly and definitely found that was a good way of starting the day once uh, the boys had gone off on a school bus of just clearing my mind and having a bit of exercise at the same time but but yeah also just getting my head right so yeah I'd recommend trying that for anyone who hasn't give that a go 
uh, it's definitely a good way to relax and, and yeah, keep fit as well. Hi James, it's Mark. I hope you're well, mate. Uh, so I'm Mark Carter. I run Little Blue Cup and I'm known as Grumpy Dad online. If there's something you really want to do that you can't just now, so is there something that maybe it's just going out to the pub on a Friday night or an activity you feel you are no longer able to do? Something Is there something that you'd really like to do that you, at this moment in time you just can't do, whether it be new or something you used to do. I'm not trying to make you upset and drag things up, but I just wondered if there's something that you feel that you can't um, and maybe it'd be possible in the future. Thanks, Mark. So, yeah, that was Mark from Little Blue Cup and Grumpy Dad. And, yeah, he was on the podcast uh, season two. Is there something I'd like to do? Um... Today it's sleep, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's not always the, the easiest of things to, to come by in this house. Even when the boys do sleep well, I think you end up in a bit of a habit of not sleeping well. They they both uh, sleep in my bed at the moment, um, which doesn't always mean for the most comfortable nights, but it does tend to keep them asleep the longest. Uh, but yeah, there's often a lot of nights I find it hard to go to sleep or have quite just wake up quite a lot I guess through the night so yeah could definitely do with more sleep but no what what would I like to do I'd like to play sport again to be honest um I used to play a lot or I used to play tennis every day um before being a dad I used to play football um golf just yeah just that feeling you get of playing sport and the social side of it so not only the the physical benefit of just getting out and, and doing something but also yeah just playing a game with other people I guess and being competitive and yeah just just doing something a bit different that's something I'd like to do that I haven't done for a long time uh, as far as something new I think one of the things I'm really interested in at the moment and, and figuring out perhaps how best to do it is is supporting other parents and I know I'm fortunate in through my blog that I get to speak to lots of different people from sort of all over the world but I'd love to do more face-to-face stuff and maybe a support group or just a local parenting group or I haven't exactly worked out what it is that that would be best but I'd love to set something up where parents can meet up and automatically they've got a lot in common because they've got a connection to autism and it's just a place for them to talk and chat and learn and talk about the good times the hard times and and yeah just see other people who get it and you know make new friends I guess so yeah I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work but that's something I'd like to do probably later on this year is is find a, a way to make that happen what would you James say is the most important message you would want to put out there for the rest of the world that don't live and are not affected by autism so if you were to finish this sentence it's important to educate yourself and your family about autism because how would you finish it? Wow, okay. It's important to educate yourself and your family about autism because at some point in your life, you're going to come across somebody who's autistic. You are going to work with them. You're going to have a family member or a friend who's autistic. Latest figures show in the UK that there's 700,000 people who are autistic. And figures across the world were about one in 60. So there's a really good chance that 
someone in your close circle is going to be autistic. So you owe it to yourself and to them to educate yourself and be a bit more informed, understand what life is like for them, just like you would for any other friend or colleague, so that you can interact with them in the best possible way, so that you can make life easier for them, develop a friendship, or just work well together alongside them. There's so much that the world needs to know about autism, and I get it, I totally get it, as someone who knew nothing about autism before I had my boys, that it's confusing and the whole spectrum doesn't make sense how someone can who's autistic can be like a scientific genius and completely verbal and someone who's autistic can be non-verbal and needs self-help and someone to look after them 24 7 but that's autism that's the spectrum and it's not just rain man it's not just what you see on the odd tv program the genius doctor it's a massive spectrum where where people fit at many points in between so even just having a basic understanding of autism would make autistic people's lives so much better and so much easier and it's not difficult the same as you could approach any section of society if you approach them with genuine want to understand and with a non-judgmental open heart then you'll begin to understand them pretty quickly Autism isn't something to be afraid of. Difference isn't something to be afraid of. And the sooner the world comes to realise that, the better for so many people. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that. That's the first time I've done that for a podcast. So, yeah, let me know what you thought. If it's something you enjoyed, then, yeah, I'll I'll try and do one uh, maybe once a series or something you know after every few guests so i'll throw in a, an episode like this just to mix it up a bit and tell a bit more of my story or my family's story so yeah let me know what you thought and there'll be a new episode next week uh back to normal with a special guest thanks for listening <laughs>